message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Good morning, everybody. We can try that again. Good morning. There we go. All right. So let's look at uh, Psalm 19. I will read, and you can follow along with me. Psalm 19. This is a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pour out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the hearts. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, O, o Lord, the rock, my rock and my redeemer. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that we would come to your word today humbled, knowing that um, you speak through your word. I pray that you would, um, that, that our hearts would be prepared to hear from you, um, that you would speak plainly and clearly to us. We thank you uh, for this opportunity to hear this song and to be encouraged of how you're at work in our world, and how you're at work through the scriptures. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So I love the way that songs uh, often tell me things about myself. I think that's why I turn on the radio or go to Spotify to listen to music. They have a lyrical way of speaking to the inner truth of who we are. And we experience this in worship a lot of the time. Um, Even if you're not a Christian, you might come here and be touched by the words that you hear uh, and that you heard this morning. And this idea reminds me of uh, a Tim McGraw song that was produced in 2001. And it goes like this. I don't know why I act the way I do. Like I ain't got a single thing to lose. Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. I guess that's just the cowboy in me. I got a life that most would love to have, but sometimes I still wake up fighting mad. At at where this road I'm headed down might lead, I guess that's just the cowboy in me. It would sound a lot better if Carlisle was up here with the guitar strumming along and singing to us, but this song speaks to my 
prideful and stubborn head and heart. And it kind of gives some justification for it as well. That when I see those things, I can just say, hey, I'm a cowboy. Um, But it also allows me to uh, give myself a little bit of a break because like most of us, we do things that we don't want to do. And so there's there's a great truth that McGraw speaks through the song that connects us. Uh, In fact, the way that country music is written and is produced, it connects a lot of people. If you're from the South or if you're from what would be deemed the country of the United States, you're probably familiar with that song. Maybe not me reading it, but if you heard the song, you would instantly know what it was and you'd be singing along to it. There's something beautiful and wonderful about the way that country music is written to, to bind us. And songs do that. They connect us to who we are, and they often tell us a truth about ourselves. And as we dive into Psalm 19, we're going to hear that same thing. We're going to be connected both to the creator of the world, and we're also going to be drawn into him as the author of the word of God and how it connects us to him. But more than that, really, Psalm 19 is a beautiful theological song, too. It, it allows us to see the two ways that God reveals himself to us through his creation and through his word, through what we will call general revelation and special revelation, that God reveals himself through his creation and how he has made it. General revelation uh, can be understood by anyone and everyone, regardless of what you believe, if you even think that there's a God. A lot, of, a lot of people nowadays would say that this is the universe, that the universe is the one that is providing a good thing or is doing something well, but that depersonalizes God at work in the world. And so rather than thinking of this as the universe, we know that this is a good God. And we're going to hear that this God actually speaks to us through his creation, and then special revelation is what Psalm, the, the psalmist David, King David, is getting at in verses 7 through 4, that the word of God reveals who God is, his character, that he is good and perfect and fulfilling to us. To quote what Psalm 34, 8 says, God wants us to taste and see that the Lord is good. By way of his word and by way of getting a a glimpse of who he is in reading his word. And God's word is active because the spirit of the Lord actually writes these things and then brings them into our hearts. And so the challenge for us in 2022 is to actually believe that God is the ultimate authority. That he is good, that he wants to give us good things. And there are so many things that are vying for our authority. Even if it's for a brief second, there are tons of things that want to be the authority in our life. And all of these things actually give us the exact opposite of what we're promised in Psalm 19. They give us more anxiety. They give us more fear. They, they often do what is, what is not good for us. For many of my students, the allure of a good job with sustainable benefits speaks to their longing of security. They long to have like a middle-class stability as though it is some kind of promised land. But that may not be you, and, and you may feel as many Americans do, 
this sense of stubborn pride, this cowboy in all of us where you just want to trust yourself. I hear that all the time from students that they just want to trust in their own selves. They want to be strong and sufficient and stable enough to trust that their own minds and their own intuition will get them along. But as many of you guys have felt, and I have as well, that only gets you so far uh, because we realize that we can't do everything on our own, that we actually have to trust in the good God who created all of this. John Calvin says that the heart, it, the human heart is an idle factory where we can produce more and more things to follow after, to make our authority and to make ultimate in our lives. And so here in Psalm 19, God is singing a devotion to us. He is longing for us to follow him and just how wonderful he is. So let's dig in. The two points that we're going to look at today are very simple. I've already addressed them, actually. We're going to look at God's general revelation and God's special revelation. So looking at God's general revelation, I love the way that David composes this song to Israel that we sing. You see, God in the first six verses, verses one through six, really spells out the personalness of creation. He is saying in these six verses and, and without even using his word, he's saying that his own work is actually speaking uh, for how good he is, that his voice, his handiwork, that his glory is all throughout the creation. It's easy to lose sight of God as personal. If you know the, the Hebrew here, because the only word that we get for God is the kind of general term Elohim in verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God. And so it, if, if we stop in simply these six verses, we might feel like God is distant from us. But what we see is that, is that creation is actually singing, is actually singing for how good God has made it. God spoke these words into being, and he did so in order for us to sing the, with, with our own voices. Verse six actually gives us a hint of the, melod- the melodic way that, that God is speaking this. He says, its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. What God is saying is that he has designed the world in a rhythmic fashion so that his creatures can actually enjoy his creation. He, he creates seasons, he creates day, he creates rhythm in order for us to know that he is there. He, he did this in order to show us that he is good and to pay attention to his creation, but not to worship it. When I was a kid, uh, I have two younger sisters, and one of us would go to Alabama for the summer and would spend time with our grandparents. And we, would, we actually had all of our family in Alabama uh, at that time, and, uh, and we would kind of hop around from house to house. And at one of my grandparents' house, uh, my grandfather would wake up at like five o'clock every single morning. Um, he would never set an alarm clock, but he just woke up really early. And if you were awake at that time, you would hear him whistling. And he would be, he would be whistling to the birds that were outside. And there were always a couple of mockingbirds that would, that would fly around their neighborhood uh, and would and would camp out and would be waiting for him to wake up 
And I love that picture of this idea of the voices of creation, not only of human beings, but also the animals that are, that are repeating back to each other. And if you've ever spent time whistling to, uh, to mockingbirds, you know that they will try to imitate, and they do it very well, your exact sound uh, if, if you whistle to them, and they will, they will send it back to you. <clears throat> and in, in some ways, <clears throat> that mockingbird is doing what God is, is talking of his creation to do. It's to proclaim his goodness, to proclaim who he is. Uh, I love this because in many ways, it helps us to draw near to the creator who says, I made this and I made you and I love you. He is whispering that as we hear this. A difficulty in studying this part of Psalm 19, again, if we just divorce it from the rest of Psalm 19, is that we can often feel that God is very distant. But this song actually encourages us to slow down, to put away some of the things that would distract us, and to get out in the world, to actually experience the creation to get away from the things that might, thank you, appreciate it, um, <clears throat> that, that might be distracting or might uh, cause us to, to go uh, to something else. John Calvin has this, this neat note in his uh, Institutes of the Christian Faith where he talks about Galen, the Greek physician, and how he studied the intricacies of the human body and whether he knew it or not, was able to partake in the beauty of God's creation, even through the small things. And God allows us to do that in the small things as well as in the very large things, like our natural parks, our national parks, or the universe, or all the things that God has created. He gives us an opportunity to actually see his beauty through the things that have been created. But we're often so consumed. I mean, I have three kids. I get it. My day-to-day life is, is taken up by lots of, of activities and responsibilities and whining and, you know, all of the things. And I whine myself, too. Um, but it, it helps us to actually stop and smell the roses, to look around at the beauty of what God has created and to take notes of the wonderful work that he has done. Now, I realize when it's 102 degrees with a 109 degree heat index, it can be difficult uh, to want to even step outside. Um, but the Lord uh, even puts the heat into our lives in order for us uh, to see him as a good and a loving God. So the second part of this passage, the, the creation reveals, and it, and it tells us that God loves us, but then we hear this personal revelation, this special revelation of God speaking through his written word. And many of us will, will know that, that this is um, why you're here. You're here to hear uh, the word of God. And so verse 7 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making, simple, making wise a simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, and the rules of the Lord are true. And I want you to recognize, and I hope you heard this, that in the first six verses, we heard God's name once. 
Here in, in three verses, we hear it six times. And the Lord is actually God's personal covenantal name where he is near to his people. This is the same God, but he is saying in his word, he is near to his people. He is close to them. And he gives them his word in, 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 in the word of God, in the spoken word that he, that he gives us. David is actually gushing of the word of God. You heard it. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives a soul. He continues again in verses eight and nine of the goodness of his precepts, of his commandments, even of his rule and his fear. We need to see and we need to remember the personalness of God, of our Lord in this passage. And many liturgical traditions, and we do so uh, here on Sunday mornings at Trinity Grace, after reading the scripture, the pastor will say, this is the word of God. And the congregational response will be, thanks be to God. And the congregation is communicating the truth that is found right here, is repeating and, and with thanksgiving is saying, this is good stuff for me. And verse 10 even says, it is more to, more are they, excuse me, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. That the word of God is so much better. So the, the, the response of thanksgiving, of thanksgiving to God is thanks be to God. But as you know, we live in a time and an era where the word of God is, is seen critically, where it could be a tool of colonial oppression, right? I hear this and I have conversations with college students who have professors and those who, who really try to cause them to see uh, that the scripture can't really be that good, that it must be seen critically. They actually see the response that we have as something that's just robotic, our robotic answer to God is thanks be to God. But we are not simply brainwashed people. And unfortunately, all of us, whether you came here today believing in God's word, or if you are critical to the word of God, you have a song that is, that, that is making you believe in something, that is giving you a feeling. It might not be an ancient book, but it is something that is guiding you and is, is wanting to tell you either that you are enough or that you could be enough. And what's so beautiful about trusting in the word of God is that it says that God is enough because of what he has done and what he has, what, what he has given us. And for us to simply trust in what he has done for us. Verses 12 through 13 remind us of the limitations that we creative people have as we sing to this creator, that we might have concerns, that we might feel like God hasn't done enough. And we need to hear and remember what was read to us earlier from Job 38, that our way is far, we, we, we don't have the created power that God has. And so we must, and, and we need to at least consider trusting in him because God's ways are so much better and so much, uh, they're, they're, they're so much better for us. In Aldous Huxley's 1920s work, Brave New World, um, 
It's, there's a utopian world that's created, a world where people live without concerns. They live free of restraints. They always have this kind of low state of happiness. And the world has scripts. Uh, they're centered around happiness. That, that, that is their overall goal. They look at the, the goal of feeling good, which is sold as contentment. And yet, what you find out is that in a world that is broken like ours, you can't just feel contentment because there is chaos underneath. He doesn't say it this way, but there is sin and there, there are destructive things that are underneath the surface. Huxley and every other person that's longing for a guide to uh, address the world tries to find salvation through something else, through something other than God's word. And this longing we know and we meet whenever we see God's word, and we know that he is the only one who can truly provide us hope and any kind of satisfaction. We have to make sure that our world, that, that we are not simply just longing for a better world, some kind of utopian world where we're happy. It will just simply not come in this world. We must remember and be formed by the word of God. It is sweet. It is rich. It is the, the best thing for us. We must, we must look at our friends and be willing to give them the gospel because it is the hope that lasts. Willing to walk with them, even in difficult times, knowing that the word of God might be the only thing that we can provide them. And our friendship is something that we can provide them um, we need to remember Jesus's posture here as well, that not one iota will pass with this word until all is fulfilled, that Jesus is the embodiment of the word of God, and that he alone knows the value and importance of knowing this word and being filled by it. And a common misconception is that we can simply just be strong and we can consume the word of God well. If you know anything about the scriptures, you come across weak and wounded and difficult people in the word of God who are struggling, are pitiful, and they long for something better. And the gospel of our Lord is what provides them hope. As we heard in verse 10, and I keep repeating it, it's the sweetest food. It is the sweetest form of, of honey. It, it is the richest value. God's word is the most satisfying thing that we have. And we need to be willing and we need to to often um, consume that word because it is good for us. So how can you cultivate a life centered around scripture? How can you know that God's word is even good for you? How can you know that it has dominion over all things and to be gracious to consume that word? I don't know those answers for you. For me, often it is having some kind of disciplined way of consuming the word and making sure that I am getting it. But I want to remind you of this, that we see Jesus through these words of Psalm 19. He, he was the song made flesh. Jesus came for the sake of the world to bring the beauty of the law and the goodness of God's presence to this world. He came to make all things new. He was sacrificed for our sake because we desperately 
needed to be saved. All of this revelation of creation and scripture came together in the person and work of Jesus. Sean Slate says it this way. He says, our book became a man and he died for us. And that is insanely good news that Jesus accomplished all of this for our sake. He did it so that we might have an intimate experience with God so that not only on Sunday mornings when we read, but all the time our response can be, thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for our time together. We thank you for giving us um, your world and creating a world uh, that, commun- that communicates your goodness. We thank you for your word, which is sweet and is rich and is so good. And I pray that we would uh, long to know you more through your scriptures. I pray that you would encourage our hearts as we go from here. Um, thank you for enabling us this opportunity to look at your word together. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.